Perspectives, which is a series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. And today I am absolutely honored to be speaking with my friend, Sonia Jackson-Miles. Sonia, welcome. Oh, 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 I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm so excited to be talking with you. And there's so many different ways this conversation can go, but I thought maybe we could start just to set the stage with a little bit about your career in corporate America because it was so spectacular. And then we'll we'll just move into talking about some of the stuff you're up to right now. So could you give us a brief, just a little brief outline of, of your career? Yes, yeah, so I started my career at Ford Motor Company uh, in Dearborn, Michigan, and I am a car fanatic. So I was going crazy just, um, looking at and paying attention to all that Ford offered at the time, really digging in deep and started my career in purchasing, although I studied marketing. And then I left there after 13 years and went to the Gillette Company in Boston, Massachusetts. And again, deepening my understanding of being a purchasing leader uh, particularly on the indirect side, which is everything that a company buys that doesn't go into their end product. And then, unbeknownst to me, I would move and uproot my family to Boston and a little over a year, get a phone call in the middle of the night saying, hey, P&G is buying us. What? <laughs> so I led part of that integration of Gillette into Procter & Gamble and led designing the global media sourcing organization, which was created for me. Uh, it was a new position and um, just had such a wonderful, wonderful experience in all three companies. And then my last role at P&G was buying all of the packaging globally. So media at the time, they were the largest advertiser in the world, $7 billion. And then um, packaging was $6 billion. So I just had such a wonderful, wonderful corporate experience. With spending a lot of money. <laughs> so. I like doing that. So, hey, I like shopping, right? <laughs> so you, you left corporate America and you started your own consultancy and you also started the Sister Accord, which I'd like to get into a little bit later. But at um, through your consultancy, you work with lots of you know, huge companies like Disney and um, and also with some celebrity clients whose names we won't say and CEOs. And one of the things you talk about is your own program, which depending on when this airs, will either have just been a session at the Can Lion Festival or is about to be called Dreamwalking. And I I'd love for you to explain Dreamwalking a little bit overall, and then maybe we can move into one piece of it. Yeah, so, you know, I was on the stage at Disney and sharing <laughs> with the audience. And I remember it like it was yesterday, Katie. I'm on the stage and I'm just going for it. And I'm telling people, you've got to live your dream. Don't run from your dreams, make it happen. And I get off of the stage and I'm saying to myself, are you being a fraud? Like you're telling everyone else to do this, but why aren't you doing it? And a lot of times it's because of fear. And so I wanted to have a process 
that really helped people because people would always say, how did you come to launch the Sister Accord Foundation? How did you come to doing the things that you were doing today? And I wanted to give people a process. I'm a process girl, you know, manufacturing girl, right? That's my background. So I wanted to share with people what I had to do in order to get to the place of really designing my own destiny. And so uh, dream walking is the process, it's the conscious process because we have to be very intentional about these things, intentional about how we wanna live our lives, intentional about who we wanna spend our time with, intentional about going where the love is and where the respect is. And so it's, it's this notion of taking your dreams and your goals and your aspirations from your heart the thing that you go to sleep thinking about, the thing that you wake up thinking about to your head where you can literally envision it, like you can see it, then to your hands. And I talk a lot about the plan. You know, oftentimes we're trying to do these things without a plan. And there is a connection to the mind and the heart when you actually write things down. So there's all sorts of research about journaling and the power of journaling. And then to your feet where you're literally walking in purpose and designing your destiny, as I say to all of my dream walkers. The, the pandemic, especially, I think, has made so many people really think to themselves, how am I spending my time? What does my life look like? Is it what I want it to look like? So, so if somebody wants to be able to really be understanding and visualizing their dream and then take it into action, what's the first step that they need to do? I mean, you know, a year and a half into craziness and scariness and anxiety, hopefully things are starting to abate a bit. What's the first thing that someone needs to do if they want to examine what their dreams even are anymore? The first thing that I say to everyone is that you have to get to know yourself we are so busy and you got to think about this just for a moment walk walk this out with me as little kids we're told you know hey you know you need to think about this when you grow up you need to think about this profession you know you need to go to this school you know they're always with someone telling us what we needed to think about how we needed to think about it what was important for us and i have to tell you a lot of the issues that I think that I have seen as I have been coaching over the years is people don't know who they are. They literally don't know themselves. And the first step in dreamwalking and all of the work that we do in the dreamwalking process is getting to know yourself. Because once you really get to know yourself and you get to a place of respecting and loving yourself and embracing everything, the flaws, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything, once that is embraced, you are able to then say, okay, I know all that. Now, what am I going to do? It's the so what? And so I would say to you that dream walking helps people with the so what? Mm-hmm. That's it. That's a really interesting point. So one of the way, one, one of the best examples of dreamwalking success, and I know that there have been so many, having spent time with you, is yourself, right? You're the original dreamwalking success story. So, I mean, it seems like you realized your own destiny by starting the sister accord. Is that right? And can you tell us about it? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I have some of my dreamwalking sisters and brothers who will say, Chief Dreamwalker. So they're always <laughs> calling me that. <laughs> and I have to tell you, absolutely. I tapped into something that was important to me that I didn't know was important to me. I was kind of just living in it. And so often, you know how before the pandemic hit, you know how you could literally drive to work and you get to the parking lot and you would say, gosh, I don't even remember all the turns. I don't even remember how I got here, right? Because we can just be in the zone. What, what happened for me was that I recognized, wow, this has been a part of who I am all along. I just had to tap into it with this whole process that I created with dreamwalking. I just had to tap into it. And, and, and self-affirmations and, and, and understanding who we are and speaking those things out loud to ourselves and, and encouraging ourselves, building our own confidence is a big part of what we do as dreamwalkers. And so the Sister Accord Foundation, I, you know, it, it was natural. People were like, wow, I, I expect that you would do that because that's, what you, that's the way you've been operating. That's the way you were operating in corporate America. But I had a mentee from every continent with the exception of Antarctica, men, women. And I just started seeing some patterns that really caused concern for me. My male mentees were coming to me and saying, hey, Sonia, I've got this amazing idea. I want you to help me flesh it out. Let's, let's talk, it, talk it through. My female mentees were always coming to me and saying, hey, you know, I don't trust Tina or I don't. I don't like Anne, or I don't want to work for a woman or women have too much drama. And I kept saying, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? How are we going to get to the C-suite? How are we going to get to the boardroom if we are more focused on each other than the business? And that's really what the Sister Accord Foundation is all about. We have three areas of focus, educating girls and women. So we give scholarships, enlightening girls and women of the power of sisterhood. So that's all of the events and engagements that we have, and then eradicating bullying and violence against girls and women. And so the work that we are doing is all around leadership development, self-love, self-care, because I found once I was able to help people truly love and embrace themselves, they didn't have time for hate. You, you start your whole perspective, your brain is rewired because we're socialized as little girls to not like each other, to not like ourselves in many instances, and so we are literally rewiring the brain and saying, no, we're not going to operate from that place anymore. Because really, so there's such a women empowering women movement and many women really are wonderful to each other. And there's no denying that. And it's so important. And I like to think that with this podcast, by exposing women to other conversations with thought leaders like you, they can come away with something. But I found something in business too. Even amongst some of these women that profess to be supporting other women, which is they're really not nice to each other. And I think a part of that is built up as in there can only be one queen that you're taught when you're little. And so if that person is succeeding, you're not the queen. And what do you, so I guess my question is twofold. One, do you agree with me? And two, if you're in that position working with people or someone specifically who isn't nice, how do you handle it? 
Oh boy, how much time do we have? (laughs) You know, every time, and, and this happens every week, I get multiple calls with people asking for strategies around this because guess what? Unfortunately, I'm going to be in business for a very long time because people are just not taking care of each other. They're not supporting each other. Bullying is at an all-time high. Well, we see a lot of violence happening in our in our country, right? And so a lot of these things are, are, are still happening, unfortunately. I am excited that, you know, when I first started talking about the Sister Accord, people looked at me like I had three heads. Now it's much more part of the conversation. So I absolutely agree with what you're saying. It is an issue. And a lot of times people are pretending that they are supportive and that they want to see us move to that next level of excellence as women in the workplace, but they're not willing to do the work. This is all heart work. Hashtag heart work. And heart work is the hard work. It's hard. It's You have to be intentional. And so I would say that what I had to do, I, I had to have some courageous conversations. Are they hard? Yes. Oh, I was scared to death, but they are necessary to have so that the other person, because sometimes people can do things subconsciously and unconsciously. In other instances, they may literally be out to destroy you, right? So you got to understand what's really going on. And that's why I tell people the pause, the power of the pause is so important because it gives you the ability to say, what is going on here? And really ask yourself, where is the bullying? Where is the hate coming from? If someone just is jealous and envious of you, there is nothing you can do about that. That's an inside job for that person. But if there is just some misunderstanding, perhaps there was some misunderstanding in communication Perhaps, you know, there was some, there's something at the root of it that you can actually do something about. You have to have the conversation and you have to ask the questions and, and, and we don't attack people. So this is a big part of what I teach and how I mentor. We don't attack people, we attack behaviors. So go be very clear and specific. This behavior makes me feel this way or causes me to feel this way or has me to believe, you know, this. Be very specific. You gotta be specific. You can't beat around the bush with it. And then give the other person the opportunity to say what they're going to do about it. In some instances, you may be in an environment that is not for you. And you will have to ask yourself those those tough questions. But, But having those courageous conversations is really very, very important in these instances. That's such great advice. And I think to add to that, right now, considering people, many, many people, not all people, many business people are still working from home. It's another, not seeing people face-to-face makes it even trickier and harder. And, And with more emails, you may be misinterpreting emails as well. And as people are going back to work, there's another, there's something else that I would like to talk with you about because you have a piece that's coming out in Forbes, which will probably already be out, that has to do with remote workers. So 
Some people will end up staying remote who never thought they were going to be remote. Some people will be back in the office. But you have a very specific fear or concern, I should say, about women, workers in general, but you know, we're more focused on women on perspectives. Remote workers not getting the same attention. Can you talk about that a little bit, please? Yes, yes, thank you again. You're such an amazing interviewer. You know. <laughs> I, uh, I, I really very concerned about this. You know, I was um, a trailblazer in so many ways in the automotive industry and I was working on teams to, we called it telecommuting at the time. Now I think I'm 25, but you know, I've been around for a little bit. And just to show you, I mean, telecommuting, that's what we called it. And, you know, I was so concerned because we had so many amazing leaders who just decided they wanted to have a different kind of work schedule, uh, a bit more flexibility, perhaps they wanted to go part-time. And in so many instances, leaders would say, oh, well, they must not be dedicated or, oh, they must not be this or, oh, they must not be that. And, you know, there was this notion that if you were not seen, then somehow you weren't going to be working, you weren't going to be productive, you weren't going to be effective and efficient and all these things. And it was the total opposite. All the research said the total opposite. And so as people are going back to work and as people, you know, back to the office, and as people are deciding and making choices that are right for their families, I'm just so hopeful that leaders will not forget people who are not in the office. I, I want them to make sure that they are not disadvantaging people who have decided that they want to work remotely. Because we all know people who work remotely, in so many instances, they're working longer hours, they're producing, the results are there. And so I think that some of the thinking is just that old school thinking that I have to see you. I need to see you at your desk at 8 a.m. and then see you leaving out, you know, whenever that is. And I just want leaders to be much more intentional about making sure they are not disadvantaging great people. It's hard to find great people right now. I mean, the marketplace and the labor workforce, it's hard. So we want to attract the best and brightest and we want to retain them by making sure that we are actually letting them know that we respect and value them and the choices that they are making. And if you're a worker who's working from home, do you suggest staying more in touch with your managers and making sure they understand that they know what you're doing, even if they're not asking for a status report, that you're sharing one? Absolutely. I've been saying this all along to my mentees. You must make sure that you are keeping your leadership up to date, write up a, a report. It doesn't have to be long, but write up something that helps them understand how are you approaching? How are you thinking? How are you actually solving some of the pain points that the organization is experiencing? And also making sure that you're communicating and saying, hey, how, how am I doing? You know, Give me some feedback making sure that there's that two-way dialogue. And a lot of times people you know, get uncomfortable with these conversations, but I think we have to start being more comfortable, particularly in a remote uh, working environment. And so communication is absolutely key and critical in order to make sure that both parties understand where each other is, 
how how is the work being viewed what are the other projects that are coming on that need to be um, focused on and you can have that that really powerful exchange that allows both parties to really understand where each other is so switching gears a little bit this has been a time and it's like repetitive to say it at this time, but it's been a real it, time full of so much anxiety and so much uncertainty, so much divisiveness in the country, so much divisiveness in other countries that's bleeding into this country that for many people, it's very enervating. And for you, you're putting on virtual tea parties, you're launching this, you're thinking of that, you have all these programs doing all these things things you every time I talk with you you seem so happy and smiley do you have any advice with how you're choosing to lead your life that can help others I tell you you know I lost the love of my life June 10th 2019 and so if you had told me that I would be smiling and that I could still have joy with my mother being in heaven and not on earth I would say you have got to be kidding me like, what? What are you talking about? And so I choose joy every single day. And I have a process. And again, this is what I ask all dreamwalkers to do. So we meditate, you know, my prayer time, I meditate, I, I do things to refill my cup. Most of us are trying to serve from an empty cup. We're tired. We've hit the wall. Our bodies are tired. And so what happens then is that's when, when sadness and depression and so many other things, stress-related disorders can come into play. And I just said, I'm not living like that. I'm going to choose joy. I know this is what my mother would want me to do. Is it hard? Absolutely. But I am very, very um, disciplined. I guess that, that's the word that I would use. I am very disciplined to make sure I'm doing the things that I need to refill renew, refuel. And so I'm asking everyone to please sit in gratitude, Do write down one thing every single day. And I keep my journal. This is my journal. I keep it with me all the time. Write down one thing that you're grateful for. Because there are a lot of things I could complain about. But writing down what I'm grateful for brings about a pathway to joy that I literally can't describe. I can't explain it to you, but it's how I live my life. That's beautiful. So to add that to that, just to my final question is, do you have one piece of advice that you can share with us that has helped you through your career and your life that we can learn from? Ah, oh, man, I have so many. <laughs> Whittle it down. <laughs> no. I know, I know. So I have this famous quote that I, I share and people love it. In the absence of information, people make stuff up. In the absence of information, people make stuff up. And when they make it up, they typically go negative. And then you have to spend all this time unraveling untruths. And so what I am asking people to do is communicate and be very intentional with your language. Don't leave holes and gaps so that people are trying to wonder, okay, well, what is she thinking? What is she doing? No, you tell them so that they don't have to make something up and make something up that is not true. And so I am asking people do not, I know social media can be you know, fun and 
and engaging sometimes, but it can be a very dark place as well with a lot of bullying and with a lot of negativity. And so I'm asking people to not allow themselves to be sucked into negative conversations, dysfunction, because then you can find yourself really spinning out of control and really staying in a negative place. So I'm asking people to communicate with positive words, watch your language and surround yourself with positive people. It's time to stay away from haters, people who don't wanna see you succeed. We have a winner circle. I call my, my, my sisters, we're a winner circle where everyone, everyone is focused on winning. And what we do is we support each other in a way that when you win, I win, right? There's no win-lose in, in our relationships. And I would ask that other people do that as well. That's wonderful. Sonia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Oh, I'm so honored. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I appreciate you. Thank you.